All right, we're back in Genesis chapter 12 this morning. And we discover from Genesis 12 that Abraham takes a great leap of faith in answer to God's call. He has left the city of Ur and moved with his family to Haran. And both of these places in ancient times were civilized and prosperous and safe. And Abraham had little to fear, surrounded by his family, by his friends, in a fertile land where he could graze his herds and his flocks. But God called him to leave that world behind and to follow him to an undisclosed country where God would bless him. And God promised him to give him this land, to give him many descendants, make a nation from them, and eventually make Abraham a blessing to all nations of the earth. And the patriarch trusted God and followed him to the land of Canaan. Now, when he got there, two problems stood in the way of God's promise. First of all, his wife Sarah was barren. So how will God fulfill his promise if she remains in that condition? And secondly, the land is already possessed by the Canaanites. They consisted of many tribes of people who were immoral, warlike, and idolatrous. So again, how would God clear out these people and give this land to Abraham? In spite of these difficulties, Abraham sojourned through the land. He went from the north down to the south in Canaan. Uh, He erected altars along the way, and he worshiped the Lord. Now, I imagine that when he got there, he saw that this was a good land. There were hills and plains and plenty of room for his animals to take nourishment. Uh, It usually produced abundant crops. And perhaps he could see how the Lord would fulfill his promises in that place. And his faith is uh, in following the Lord... Uh, could easily be rewarded. But faith does not come without cost. Uh, Blessing does not come often without hardship. Before there is a crown, there is going to be a cross to bear. And Abraham was about to find this out in the next episode of his life. To this land where the Lord promised to bless him, God sent a famine. It was such a severe famine that Abraham felt compelled to sojourn in the land of Egypt, which he found out was not a very good idea. His faith turned to fear and folly and forced the Lord to intervene on his behalf. And Abraham learned valuable lessons from this incident that apply to us even today. So as we look once again into the life of Abraham, let's ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Heavenly Father, once again, we're thankful uh, for these great Old Testament passages. We're thankful for men like Abraham uh, who walked by faith. But Lord, even as we do today, uh, sometimes we fail in faith. We know, Lord, that those experiences, however, will help us to grow Help us to get closer to you. Help us to better understand your will and your way. And as we see uh, the experience of Abraham in this chapter, help us to realize that it has 
uh, profit for us today and encouragement for us, and we ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. As we go through here, we're going to see a number of different things, and the first one is this. Uh, That has to do with migration. Uh, Abraham migrating to the land of Egypt, and as he heads to Egypt, he does so to escape famine, so the reason for doing so might not have been a bad one. And we want to note here that Abraham journeys south, but he does so in more ways than one. You'll note back in verses 7 and 8 that when Abraham first came into the land of Canaan, he built two altars. And verse 7 says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So the first thing he does when he comes into this land, he sees the Lord, the Lord speaks to him, reiterates his promise, and he builds an altar in faith, believing that promise and worshiping God as a result of it. Then we find that he moves farther to the south to a place near Bethel and Ai, and he builds another altar there. And there he called upon the name of the Lord, which is a public proclamation to God and worshiping God in a public way that might be noticed by some of the people of the land. So these first two actions recorded of Abram in the land of Canaan were indications of his trust in the Lord, his worship of the Lord, and his public proclamation that this is the one true God that he worships in a pagan land. Then we note that Abram continued to journey south in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. He went down to Egypt. Now obviously, that is geographical terminology. He's heading south, or if you're looking at a map, you're going down on the map. I know that we say up south here, but really it should be down south if you're going to look at it that way. But in the context of this story, it also has a metaphorical meaning. Abraham went down in another way as he sojourned in Egypt. He went down in his relationship to the Lord. He went down spiritually because he failed in faith. Now, not until we come to chapter 13 and verse 1 do we see a change, because there it says, then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, all that he had. And what did he do when he returned to Canaan? Well, if you look at verse 4, he went back to Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar what he made there, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So in this passage, it begins with him calling on the name of the Lord. It ends with him calling on the name of the Lord. But in between, what do we see? We see nothing of that nature. All the time that he spent in Egypt, in Egypt, there's no altars, there's no inquiry of the Lord, there's no calling upon the Lord, and that's why he went down spiritually. We too will go down if we fail to stay close to the Lord each day, if we fail to worship, if we fail to trust, if we fail to pray, it won't be long before we get ourselves into spiritual trouble. Now let's go back to chapter 10. Take a look here at the hardship that caused this migration. 
we're told right off there was a famine in the land, and it was a very severe one. Now, we know from Bible history, this was not unusual in this part of the world. Later on, we're going to find that Isaac also moves because of a famine. Uh, Jacob is going to move down to Egypt to escape famine. And we hear about famines in parts of the world today. We understand what this means, but we're living in a country where we have never really experienced this kind of thing. So it's hard for us to get our our mind around it because uh, severe famines cause loss of life and severe loss of life. So uh, things were pretty bad to make Abraham want to go to Egypt out of the land of Canaan, out of the land of promise, uh, which was irrigated, of course, by the waters of the Nile. And it would be easier for him and his family to survive than to stay in Canaan right now. That's the way he's thinking. Now, it's unclear whether he should have done so or not. As the head of his family, of his household, with many servants, uh, many animals under his charge, he had a duty to provide for them and to protect them. It wasn't necessarily a bad idea to go down to Egypt and dwell for a while. The word to dwell is the idea of sojourning for a period of time, not necessarily to settle down permanently. But as was mentioned, there's no indication that the Lord conveyed this to Abraham or that he went to the Lord to inquire what he should do in the situation. And since the outcome is not good, that may well suggest to us his failure of faith in going down in the first place. So Abraham was facing a serious trial. Abraham may have been wondering why God sent him to this place that now he's experiencing famine in. Wasn't this supposed to be the promised land? Wasn't the Lord going to give him descendants here? How can a severe famine, which is a threat to life itself, be into be in the plans of God. So the very promises of God were, were being threatened. And those who have come to know Christ as their Savior, uh, they are going to face similar tests. There will be trials and tribulations, some of which will be quite severe. They don't necessarily have to be physical in nature, but they can be. And when we face loss, of some kind, our faith is being tested in some way. Will we trust the Lord? Will we go to him? Or will we resort to our own schemes to get us out of the hard place? Well, we find this is what Abraham begins to do. So the second thing we find here after migration is deception. Abraham's scheme to survive in Egypt doesn't seem to be a very wise one. And Abraham's fears now conquer his faith. And we have two thoughts here in regard to his fear that are revealed in verse 11. came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, 
and that I may live because of you. Okay, so Abraham reveals here his fears. He fears that his wife, because she is so beautiful, is going to attract the eye of uh, men in this new country. And he, he fears that the result of it will be they want to kill him so they can have his wife. Instead of trusting the Lord in that situation to protect him, calling upon him for guidance and help, Abraham comes up with his own little scheme. And he cites his fears to Sarah, his wife, and reveals his ploy to her. Now, Sarah, at this time, if we go by the the, uh, information we've received so far, is probably about 65, but still a very beautiful woman. Now, we have to remember, she lived to be 127, so now she's just kind of midway through life, so perhaps around the age of a woman of 40 these days. But some women, even now, like my wife, are still very beautiful when they're in their 60s. So we can understand uh, why he was thinking this way. Now, Abraham is afraid that in this foreign land, someone would not balk at taking his life in order to have his wife. So he asked her to say, you're my sister. You know, tell people that you're my sister. Now, we know from chapter 20 that this was true. And as we mentioned last time, this was um, customary in that age. Uh, There's no loss against it. Uh, At this point in time, a marriage of this nature was not viewed as wrong or immoral in that day, but it was still a deception because neither of them revealed that they were actually married, husband and wife. Now, Abraham may have been thinking that if someone did did want to negotiate a marriage uh, with his supposed sister, that he could forestall the process, he could drag it out, so that they, you know, the famine would end and he could get back to Canaan before anything could happen. That might have been rolling around in his mind in his little uh, uh, scheme of how to uh, uh, assuage his fears. Now, Abraham also is concerned about protecting himself, uh, protecting himself and not necessarily trusting God to do that in verse 13. He says there, um, say you're my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. So he's concerned about his welfare. Now, uh, in a way, that makes sense. How can God fulfill his promise if Abram dies in a foreign land? Uh, It's important that he lives if he's going to have descendants and receive what God has promised. How can this happen if I'm not alive? But then he's not really thinking in terms of God's ability to fulfill his promises and protect him. And he's not thinking about his wife's welfare. Is it right to possibly sacrifice her purity and their marriage relationship to save his own skin? How is she going to fare through this whole situation? So his little dishonest scheme is flawed from the very beginning. And if it was right for Abraham to go to Egypt in the first place, then it was right for him to trust God instead of trying to make uh, take matters into his own hands. 
in times of crisis or difficulty, what is our plan of action? What will we do? Many times we come up with our own ideas or resolutions to a problem, difficulty, hardship, whatever it might be. Hopefully it doesn't involve some kind of deception because that's never going to work out for God's will and purposes. So when God sends a test our way, what should we do? Well, the first thing we should do is seek his wisdom and seek his will. We have the word of God to help us out. We have prayer to help us out. We, we have close friends that know the Lord that can give us advice, a parent or some other godly person to gain perspective. But we don't really see Abram doing any of these things. We need to make sure that the way we respond to trial is God's way, not our own way. Now, the third thing we see here is abduction. Sarah is taken by Pharaoh in verses 14 through 16. So Abraham's scheme backfires. Look at verse 14. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. So he was right about that. Uh, they they uh, uh, saw this new uh, group of people coming in, and his fears were well-founded. They saw his wife, and they believed that she was a very beautiful woman. And apparently word gets around, because in verse 15, the princes or the higher officials of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. So they go to Pharaoh and say, hey, we heard about this uh, woman who's come into the land uh, and she's very beautiful. You might want her to be in your harem. So word gets around. Uh, Now, you know that uh, this person, Pharaoh, that's not a name, but it's a title. And it actually means great house. And the Pharaoh was the king of the primary ruler of that land of Egypt and a very powerful person. So do you think for one minute, as Abraham contemplated going down into Egypt, that his wife would be attracted to the most powerful man of that part of the world? I don't think that he that even crossed his mind. I don't think he felt he would have to worry about Pharaoh. Of course, Pharaoh... Uh, is a person who, humanly speaking, would have been all-powerful in that land. He doesn't have to negotiate with anyone. He just takes what he wants. And he doesn't have to ask Abraham's permission. He doesn't have to, uh, to agree to a dowry or a bride price. He simply takes Sarah and brings her to his royal harem. That's what goes on here as the story moves forward. The princess uh, uh, Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And uh, there apparently wasn't any kind of negotiations going on about that. Now, by now, Abraham uh, is surely feeling like a fool, wondering why he ever crossed the border and came into Egypt. Uh, His big plan, his subtle deception, has now been blown to smithereens. Now, what's amazing is that even in his folly and his total lack of faith in God, God eventually protects them all, and he actually blesses him, materially speaking, as he promised that he would do. 
And Abraham is treated well, but not how he imagined. If you look at verse 16, he, meaning Pharaoh, treated Abraham well for uh, for her sake. So what he wanted back in verse 13, he got, but I don't think he got it in the way that he thought he would get it or the way that he planned to get it. So the author informs us that his little scheme seems to have worked out, at least in one one way. What he receives, it looks like Pharaoh did give him a great deal because of Sarah. Look at all the stuff he got. Now, he already, you know, was fairly well off, but now he gets more sheep, more oxen, more donkeys, more servants, more even some camels which back then was a super sign of wealth and prosperity uh, and the respect that comes with that from people and perhaps the envy of others. So he got all this stuff. But do you think Abraham was happy with the outcome? At what cost did he get blessed with this material stuff? First of all, He's really stuck now because how can he refuse any of this? If he says, no, I can't take that, well, he's going to be in trouble with Pharaoh. And uh, if he said, the reason why I can't take it is because Sarah's my wife, well, he's right back in jeopardy where he wanted to stay out of in the first place. But more importantly, was this really a good trade-off? Could he really enjoy all his wealth? at the price of the love of his life? How foolish he must have felt realizing that he put Sarah in harm's way and there's no way for him to rescue her. He can't go in there with a a hundred servants or so and take on the army of Pharaoh. He's in a bad place. He got himself into this predicament that he could not resolve because he failed to trust the Lord in the first place. So that leads us then to intervention and resolution, of course, that Pharaoh could not provide. The Lord rescues Abraham, and he uses Pharaoh to rebuke him in the last part of the story. In verse 17, we see the Lord's intervention. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. A commentator outlined this point with these words. God's sovereign purposes cannot be derailed by man's sinful blunders. So God's not going to let his plan fail, even though Abram failed in faith. God's purpose for Abram was to give him the land of Canaan to make him a great nation. He would have descendants. He would bless the whole world through his seed and the coming Messiah. So the Lord is going to have to determine that this is going to be carried out in spite of the mistakes that men make. And we see this as a theme throughout the whole Old Testament. Now, Abraham failed this test, but God determined to get him out of the mess. And even though Abraham had been foolish, God blessed him anyways. And that blessing was not dependent on Abraham's actions or conduct, but on God's calling and God's grace. So how does God accomplish his purpose? Well, he sends a plague. 
Now, that's interesting. Do we have another uh, situation in the Word of God where God sends plagues on Egypt? So this is kind of foreshadowing something that's going to go down the road. And remember what God said uh, when, he, when he made his promises to, to uh, uh, Abraham? I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. And in a sense, uh, that word curse means to disrespect or disregard. And Pharaoh disregarded Abraham, even though he didn't realize Sarah was his wife, he still just took her without negotiations, without anything else. So there was some disrespect there, and now God's coming back on him with these plagues, these curses, if you will. And it's interesting that the word plague, which we're not exactly sure what it meant, but it fell on Pharaoh's house. So it may have been something like uh, uh, a barrenness or things of that nature. And uh, we don't know what the affliction exactly was, but again, it's the same word used of the plagues that were sent on Egypt years down the road. And the king somehow becomes aware that this had something to do with Sarah. So aren't you glad that the Lord is patient and forbearing with us even when we mess up, when we fail in our faith, we try to work things out on our own without consulting the Lord. He still delivers us in those types of situations. So the Lord now is intervening. And the resolution comes as God uses Pharaoh to rebuke Abraham. <clears throat> so, verse 18, Pharaoh called Abram. Uh, Pharaoh called Moses too, didn't he, later on. But Pharaoh calls Abram, and he wants to know what's going on. He's found out, uh, perhaps maybe asking Sarah what's going on. She might have revealed the scheme to him. But when, when Abraham comes, he says, What is this you have done to me? And, of course, he knows that Abram's God is involved in all this and the reason for it. Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she was my, she's my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and get out. Pretty much what he's saying. So, this is the bottom line which draws his ire. He's upset. He's angry about this. So if he's angry about it, it seems that if Abram had told him the truth in the first place, nothing would have happened. He would have respected that marriage relationship, but God uh, uh, would have protected him if he had just told the truth. God also uh, in this has protected Sarah because um, he prevents Pharaoh in some way from the opportunity of going through whatever their marriage procedures were. So he protects her purity, her reputation, where Abraham had been too fearful to do so. And Pharaoh uh, returns Sarah undefiled. He commands Abraham to take her and to go, and he even sends an escort to make sure that they get out of the land. Verse uh, 30 commands his men to go with them and sends them away. So again, this is indeed a sad situation when God has to use an unbelieving person, a pagan, to chastise his own children and get them to see the truth. And I'm sure that that probably added 
to the weight of Abram's shame. Sometimes God uses unusual means to rebuke us and get us back on the right path. God doesn't say anything to Abram, but what Pharaoh said should have woke him up. It's an extremely poor testimony when God has to use someone who's lost to do this kind of work. And incidentally, there's no shame or blame placed upon Sarah, but just the men who disrespected her, really. And uh, there's no um, record here of Sarah saying anything, no dialogue at all. So she is not to blame. Now, from this point, Abram returns to the place from which he had departed. Uh, They go back up from Egypt. Uh, Everything that he has, Lot goes with him. So we're introduced to the next section with Lot coming, what's going to happen there. He goes to the south, the Negev, which is really a kind of a dry land. And then from there, he goes back up to Bethel and he calls upon the name of the Lord once again. So he's getting back right with the Lord where he needs to be. Um, And I'm sure... He learned a valuable lesson there about trusting the Lord in all circumstances of life. Um, But unfortunately, he's going to repeat the sin later down the line. So trusting God in every situation of life is not easy. And uh, we can repeat our failures like Abraham did. But the Lord does not easily give up on us. He keeps us uh, in his Uh, will he brings us back to the point of departure so we can follow him once more and that's what's going on here so perhaps you are going through some kind of famine in your life a time where God is testing your faith if you're not now you have in the past or you will in the future for sure perhaps there's some kind of loss you face that's difficult to deal with Abraham lost someone dear to him for a while Perhaps you made a bad decision, a wrong decision like Abraham did. Maybe you're in some kind of predicament. You don't know how to deal with it. Whatever it might be, the Lord wants you to call upon him for strength and wisdom and patient endurance, comfort, whatever it is you need, God promises to supply that need. He will rescue you. He'll help you. He'll guide you just like he did Abraham, uh, but Abram's mistake was he didn't go to the Lord in the first place. And that's what we need to do in each uh, situation where our faith may be tested. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you'll encourage us uh, in the life of Abraham. We realize this is one of the times where he failed in faith, but we know, Lord, that he became a great man of faith. And so this is an encouragement to us, Lord, that often we may fail, but Uh, We go on to increase our faith. And Lord, help us in those times, the dry times, the times of famine, uh, the times of testing, to look to you for the strength and the power that we need, the direction that we need, uh, to do the right thing and to serve you wholeheartedly. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.